I'd like to share with you from God's Word, uh, from Matthew chapter 8, beginning at the first verse, and we'll read through verse 17. And uh, the, the focus uh, of the uh, passage will really be on the first four verses. Um, let's hear now God's Word. When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus entered Capernaum, A centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, as, it, as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now when Jesus had come to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave command to depart 
to the other side. And thus far ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. O God, as we approach these magnificent words detailing the early ministry of our Lord and Savior, Father, we ask that your spirit would mightily dwell among us and within us. Lord, that we might hear your words, that we might hear your unadulterated words, that the one who is preaching would not add to your words, but would explain your words clearly, clearly, so that the beauty and the simplicity of your gospel of good news would touch all of our hearts as we see it displayed throughout this passage. These things we humbly pray, grant us ears to hear and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. We have here in our text an early snapshot into the ministry of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, this text takes place in early in Christ's ministry in what's called the Galilean phase, mostly centered in the towns of Capernaum and, uh, and Bethesda. We uh, read as we come to this passage that this phase of Jesus' ministry is marked by significant amount of teaching and an extensive amount of mir- miracles being performed uh, in the sight of many. Chapter 5, following the temptation of Christ, chapter 5, verse 1 says that Jesus went up on the mountain. And if you notice, our first verse in chapter 8 says Jesus came down from the mountain. What happened on that mountain in between Christ descending and Christ descending the mountain? Well, we find out that it's on this mountain that Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount to a great multitude. People who had come to him from Galilee, the northern part of what was then Israel, from the Decapolis, the region to the east, Jerusalem, the capital city of David to the south, and Judea, the province in which Jerusalem is located, and even beyond the Jordan. What we're witnessing here is part of the great promise that God had given to Abraham that in your seed, many would be blessed. We're seeing the beginning of the Gentiles coming to Jesus and thirsting and hearing his word. Up on that mountain, in terms of teaching, Jesus 
taught the Lord's Prayer to God's people. He taught God's people that they should love one another as they love themselves. That they should, that God also would give his definition of what constitutes murder and adultery. That would be the standard of holiness in his kingdom. Christ on this mountain declared that he had completely fulfilled God's law. And he would teach the crowd what constitutes true treasure in the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot going on on this mountain. A lot of teaching has been done. A lot of kingdom teaching has been displayed. And now Christ has come down the mountain, and now look what happens. Verse 2 of chapter 8. Behold! A leper. A leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The text is... But the word behold is making, is, is making a statement. It's saying, look, look at this. A leper, a leper has dared to cross the path of the king of kings and lord of lords, asking for help. We should not look past this encounter, this divine appointment, this divine meeting. For in this brief moment, I submit to you that the kingdom of God, about which Jesus has just taught, is soon now to be seen by many in all of its glory. For Jesus now shows that God's kingdom lies in sharp contrast to the kingdoms of mankind. Christ's kingdom comes with healing and with teaching so many the good news of the gospel. The kingdom of God is about to explode upon the dark and despairing world of sinful men. With our Savior comes healing and hope for every sinner in this sinful world. And as Christ's encounter with this leper shows, his kingdom is one of amazing grace. I'd like to have us see this encounter from three different viewpoints. The first, the catastrophic effect of sin on men's lives is symbolized by this leper. Two, the leper's request of Christ demonstrates man's extreme need. And finally, Christ's response to the leper radically changed that man. For now he has new life and new status 
in God's kingdom. As I read through chapter 8, you cannot be, you cannot help but be impressed by the multitudes of sick and diseased people that Jesus is encountering and that Jesus has healed. Almost all of chapter 8 and parts of chapter 9 show that Christ's healing is that Christ is healing one suffering soul after another. The centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law, a paralytic. And as verse uh, 16 of chapter 8 says, many who were demon-possessed came to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word, healing all the sick. The massive number of Christ's healings are clear, or a clear indication that the kingdom of God has now come in all its power and in all its grace. And I do believe that Christ healing this leper reveals the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in a most magnificent, if unexpected, way. The leper displays the catastrophic effects that sin brings into men's lives. Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Do you notice the leper's posture? What's he doing? Says he's worshipping Jesus. He is certainly seeking out Jesus' help, but his posture is one of worshiping. I'll speak more about that in just a few minutes. But let's think for a minute, what, what is leprosy? And we don't experience much of this disease here in our culture today, but back then it was pretty rampant. And it is a disease, and again, I'm not a doctor, and so my apologies to those of you who are. But I have learned that leprosy is a disease that impacts the entire body. Often, it incapacitates its victims and brings severe pain along with misery, suffering, and ultimately death. Leprosy brought different types of suffering in addition to the pain. There was economic suffering. Often the leper had to support himself but was unable to do so. There was social suffering. He was shunned by the public at large, even by family. There was emotional suffering. He was alive, but without the hope of ever being healed. Have have any of you ever been sick with an extensive illness and you wondered, why am I sick and am I ever going to get better? Have any of you faced that roller coaster of emotions 
when it looks like you're getting better and then you lapse back into the same sickness. That can be very emotionally, that can make a person very emotionally distraught and even depressed. And then on top of all of this, there was spiritual suffering. By that I mean, according to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, lepers were barred from every religious activity at the temple. They were considered ceremonially unclean. No wonder leprosy was dreaded by all the people. In addition to these facts, leprosy was contagious, incurable, and it brought scorn to the one suffering. He was rejected by almost all people in the community. They were often reduced to begging in order just to survive. Quite frankly, rarely would any of the religious leaders of Israel lift a finger to comfort a leper in misery. Their self-righteousness would never permit such a thing. So the leper's illness would bring isolation, loneliness, despair, constant pain, the thought that no one cares, I have no friends, and the public hates me. Yet, yet, this leper endured all public scorn, and he comes to Jesus. Remember, there's a large crowd around Jesus. He comes to Jesus, and he worships him. Is it, is it too much of a jump? Is it too difficult to see that this man's leprosy is like the spiritual effects that sin has on our lives? Both leprosy and sin impact the total being. Like leprosy, sin often interacts with every aspect of our lives. It disrupts our communion with God. It causes difficulty in caring and loving for others. Our sin not only brings estrangement from others, but also from God. And then when it brings estrangement from God, there's a way Satan works because of our sin to twist our minds and our hearts to turn to false gods, thinking and hoping that they can help us. We begin to believe that God can't possibly forgive and love me, a sinner. And we take the next jump. God can't help me. And he isn't interested in doing so. Could you blame this leper for thinking, no one is my friend. Everyone despises me. No one will come near me. I'm miserable. And I'm worthless. I have no future. Only 
death awaits me. And if others think, if, and if others think so little of me, what must God think? And then you get the question, why did he do this to me? Why should I approach him for any help at all? But, by the grace of God, he does approach Jesus, doesn't he? In a most dramatic way, in a most visible way. And as he approaches Jesus, his request for healing is a clear admission that he is in need. We are not told how the leper came to think that Jesus would heal him. We can only assume that he heard about some of Jesus' ability to heal. And more importantly, that God was sovereignly drawing him to his Lord and Savior. I imagine that the leper comes to Jesus as one who has hope, but yet is one who has reached the end of his rope for trying all kinds of human solutions to his problem. Jesus is the last hope for him. We marvel at this man's posture. As he comes toward Christ, again, he comes worshiping. He does not come bitterly, holding resentment against God. He is not railing or cursing God. Rather, he humbly comes and worships at Jesus' feet. He bows to the ground in a continual posture of worshiping the Lord and Savior. Notice what the leper calls Jesus. Lord. Calls him Lord. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That Lord in the New Testament is the Old Testament equivalent of Jehovah, Yahweh. When he calls Jesus Lord, he is respecting Jesus' divine identity as well as his authority. He also readily identifies himself as Christ's servant. Lord implies servant. This posture of this man stands in stark contrast to the posture and the names that the Pharisees are calling Jesus. And the leper says to Christ, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you have the power, you have the power to cleanse me. 
There's no demand here. Do you see that? He doesn't come to Christ and say, hey, it's your fault. You need to heal me. No. There's humble submission before God and places the matter in under God's display of mercy. If you are willing. Again, what a tremendous statement that is when you stop and think about it. Because if you are willing means that the leper in his own mindset has transitioned from the mindset of Adam, which is my will be done, to transitioning to the mindset of God's servant, ultimately depicted in Christ, when he says, not my will be done, but thy will be done. The leper is certainly not saying the words of Adam's disobedience, but he's saying the words of Christ's obedience right before the cross. There's no sense of entitlement here on the part of the leper. He knows he's not entitled to any of God's gracious healing. He, doesn't, he believes that God doesn't owe him anything. He says, Lord, it's up to you to heal me, and I'll be satisfied if you do or you don't. How like our need to end sin's reign in our lives is displayed by this leper. Because you see, there's nothing you can do to break sin's power over you. Nothing you can do to remove sin's guilt. Nothing you can do to break free of its chains that bind your heart to evil. God doesn't owe you healing. God doesn't owe you or anyone salvation. Sin condemns us all to a life of eternal suffering and separation from God. If you're a person here today who's struggling with the impact of sin, the total impact of sin in your life, and if you haven't come to the point of saying how much you need Jesus to save you from your sin, then I think every one of us ought to pray for such a person. And maybe you know such a person. You ought to pray that they come to the end of their rope, so to speak. That they come to the end of trying their own way to please God. And turn instead to Jesus Christ. Because he is God's only way 
to overcome sin and suffering. If you'll permit a personal observation, I'd like to share with you a story from my own life. It involves my father. Uh, My father was orphaned at age eight. And this was, in his lifetime, this was right at the beginning of the Depression. And he was shuttled off to all of the relatives to take care of him. And, and essentially what happened, I mean, although they tried to do their best, essentially what happened is he wound up taking care of himself. As a result, he became a very self-reliant kind of person and was always trying to manipulate circumstances and situations so that he wouldn't get hurt or those he loved wouldn't get hurt. He micromanaged to the nth degree, his life and everybody else's life around him. And then when things didn't go his way, he got very upset. Very upset because there was something that he couldn't control. He couldn't manipulate. And I'm using that not in a necessarily pejorative way. Well... One thing my dad couldn't control was the grace of the gospel that found its way into my heart. Not only about the space of two years' time, I became a Christian, my sister became a Christian, and my aunt, my father's sister, became a Christian. This was in 1970. So for those of you who know your math, that's 23 years ago. No, no, that's not right. (laughs) Math has never been my forte. 53 years ago. Okay? And so during that, that span of time, my sister and her church prayed. I and my churches prayed. My aunt and her churches prayed. And we shared the gospel with my father. On many occasions. And now we move forward 40 some years. My father is approaching 70 some years, 70, late 70s. And my mother has been struggling with Parkinson's disease. And she's getting worse. Every day she gets worse with that disease. And I, for some reason, I started praying for my father. God, give give him a circumstance he cannot control. Bring my dad to the end of his rope. That's what I prayed. And you know what? God did that. Brought him to the end of his rope. He was 80 years old. He was living at the time with my sister. And again, every time things didn't go dad's way, he got real upset and complained 
railed against the providence of God, as we would say. And he came, my sister came in when dad was in one of these moods, and she had been living with him. Uh, he'd been living on their property for a year, year and a half, and I think she was fed up. And she looked at my dad and she said, Dad, do you know what your problem is? And of course, he said, no. And she said, with all the love and all the directness, Dad, you're a sinner and you need Jesus. That night, he got on his knees. And I don't know what he said. I'm sure he, he was repenting of his sin. I know that. I don't know exactly what he said. But from that moment on, for the next two years until he died, my father was a completely changed person. He had been brought to the end of his rope by God's grace. And he turned to his last hope. Christ. It was kind of funny. It was more than funny. My daughter at the time was a teenager, just starting the teen years. And after this thing had happened, my father had made this radical change in his life. And my daughter said, who is this man? I don't even know my grandfather anymore. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's why I say the sinner has to be brought to the end of his rope. I'd like to just talk about the third point. The leper's request of, excuse me. I'd like to see the response that Jesus made to the leper's request. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I'd like to characterize that act that Jesus now performs in, in response to the leper's uh, request. I'd like to character that as an act of mercy, an act of grace, an act of kingdom mercy. The leper pleads, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What will Jesus do? The kingdom of God that Jesus has just talked about so much on the mountain has now reached a critical moment. Think about the minds of the people looking at this. And think about the, the way in which the people had been reacting to lepers. And think about what they've been hearing from Jesus and, and now seeing from Jesus. I'm sure that in the minds of many, there were these questions. Will Jesus really help this leper? Or... Are his teachings on the mountain simply pious posturing? Does Christ really want a leper to associate with him? With his ministry? With his teachings? With his kingdom? With his gospel? 
Uh, Jesus, in his response to this leper, had to astound everyone who saw it. Just as it ought to fill us with joy. As we see his mercy on full display. Jesus put forth his hand. And he touched him saying, I will it. Be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus' answer to this leper of cleansing. And every sinner out there. It's like the one Christ gave to the Pharisees who questioned, Jesus, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And you remember what our Savior said. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Are you sin sick? Have you acknowledged that you're a sinner in need of the salvation that only Jesus Christ can give you? There's a parallel passage to this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 41. And that passage tells us something about Jesus' emotional state as he was about to heal this sinner. It says... He was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. In the Greek, it's literally Jesus had bowels of mercy for this this guy. And I think that's really illustrative and instructive about how Jesus views repentant sinners coming to him. His attitude, you see, is not that of a cold-hearted, indifferent priest or preacher or scribe. It's not one of condemnation or judgmentalism, but it's one of profound compassion. Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand. Stretched out his hand. I suspect, because of what comes next, I suspect that that was Christ inviting inviting the man to come to him. Can you imagine this man who nobody wants to be around? Now, the one who he has self-declared to be Lord, Yahweh, is telling him, come. It's all right for you to come. Do Do you get the sense and the feeling what that must have meant to this man? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But what happens next? It says he touched him. 
I don't particularly like that translation because the Greek word is the translation of embrace or cling to. The Lord Jesus didn't just take his finger and touch him like I'm touching this and then withdraw. He essentially hugged him. You imagine what that meant to this poor man? Do not overlook the fact that whether it was simply a touch or whether it's what I think was a profound hug, such an act, according to Levitical law, also made Jesus ceremonially unclean. And this begins, you see, the process of our Savior identifying with us, of Yahweh, Emmanuel, God with us, really being with us, on our side. Identifying with us in all of our sickness and all of our weakness, yet he himself without sin. Christ touched him. Isaiah 53, verse 4, is given at the end of Matthew 8, verse 17, as the reason for why Christ is healing so many in this chapter in Galilee. It says, this is to fulfill what was spoken of the prophets. He took up all our infirmities and bore our diseases. Or as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Under Mosaic law, just by touching this leper, Jesus has become ceremonially unclean. And that would lead to the day when our Savior would bear our sins and pay for our sins upon the cross by his blood being shed. Our Savior is now walking the road of forsakenness, forsaken by the infinitely Holy Father, who at the cross will not be able to look upon his dearly beloved, only begotten Son, our Lamb whose blood was shed for the sins of the world. Three years later, Jesus will die at Calvary. And he finalizes the definite atonement for this leper's sin. But for now, the leper is a leper no more. He is healed from his illness immediately. No more pain and suffering. No more a pariah in society. No more emotional distress. And no more religious isolation. All of his sufferings have vanished in a moment, in an instant of Christ's healing. The leper, you see, is a new man. Experiencing a new world because of Jesus' healing, and because with that embrace, our Savior has welcomed this former sinner 
into his kingdom. The kingdom of Emmanuel. All his suffering is gone forever. Simply because Christ willed it so. And I might add, he willed it so from all eternity before the foundation of the world. Lastly, Christ said, I will it be healed. Our Savior speaks and it is done. How much in contrast that that is to the ways of the world. Because nothing any man can do or say can end this leper's suffering. But Christ, Almighty God, speaks just five words to this leper. And all his suffering is gone forever. Because Jesus willed it so. In the parallel, in Mark chapter 1, verse 45, Jesus told the leper to go and show himself to the authorities and to offer sacrifice, the sacrifice of Moses, as a testimony to them. But you know what the leper did? He didn't do it. He, went, he was so excited, he went out and blabbed it to everybody he could see. Look what Jesus did to me. He didn't go to the leper. Excuse me. He didn't go to the um, to the priest, so that the priest might see as well, have evidence that the kingdom of God has really come, and all of its power and glory. The leper, you see, still has a way to go in terms of learning obedience. But then don't we all? And Christ is with us even then. Christ's attitude toward the leper and you, the needy sinner, is never clinical, never sterile, never disinterested. Christ is emotional about the welfare of his people. He is moved with compassion for our sin in us. And it's this compassion of the, for Christ, for the poor in spirit, the sick of heart, the afflicted of soul, the lonely, lost, and dying that is so endearing to us and gives every one of us lost souls so much help and hope. God's amazing good news in the gospel of Christ is on full display in this passage. And the healing of the leper. Come all you weak and poor and sick sinners. Come to Jesus. Believe in his death and resurrection. Repent of your sins. Come and find rest for your sin-sick, sin-weary souls. I challenge anyone here today who is alienated. Suffering from sin in this dark world of man. Be like this leper before almighty God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That he might exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him. Because 
He cares for you. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we humbly ask for your spirit to apply your words to the hearts of your people. Lord, as we are about now to enter into the celebration of the Lord's Supper, that uh, great sacrament which you gave to us to display before us in a picture form the sacrifice, the efficacious sacrifice of your Son, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to draw our hearts once again ever closer to our loving Savior, hoping in Him, trusting in Him, trusting in the completion of His labor to save His people from their sins. These things we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen.